I have with me today, Reverend Beth Ortiz. She is the Director of Strategic Ministries of the East Ohio Conference of the UMC. And I thought since she's doing our first one, we're in September, everybody's getting back into the swing of things. They're all back into the routine. And a lot of people who have either taken work off or had really weird schedules in the summer are now getting right back into their uh, traditional kind of work life. And so I thought it would be good to focus our conversation today on faith and work, faith in the workplace, how that all relates. But before we dive into all of it, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role in the conference, and anything else you want us to know? All right. I'm really excited to be here. So as Shane said, I am an elder in East Ohio and currently serving in this office in I'm strategic ministries, but that's housed within connectional ministries, which I think is one of those titles that we give to a department and then don't often think about what it is. But that is what we are about. Connectional ministries is about connecting people. And that's the part of my job I love. I love to connect with people and churches. And then the way I describe my job is as everyone is trying to listen to where God is calling them. My joy and my job is to walk alongside them for a little bit and help in some way, if possible. Before this, which I've been in this role for just over two years, I was serving a, at two churches in the Delaware, Ohio area, so just north of Columbus. And that is, that's my first full-time appointment. I loved it there. Some small churches, really good-hearted people just trying, as we talk about work, just trying to do good work for God. And previously to that, in what feels like another lifetime now, I used to live in Jackson, Mississippi, A, and the Red Cross. Though I am an Ohio native, so probably worth saying a proud Youngstown State graduate and Ohioan forever at heart. Yeah. And so you mentioned uh, doing social justice work, which is great because some of the topics that we're going to talk about in conjunction with faith and work has to do with um, how we uh, do social justice or perceive it in uh, the workplace um, and how that affects faith and all that. So we'll get into all that as we go along. But I think that's really a really good um, thing to know about you is that you have a foundation with this and that you're not just making it up as you go along. That is our passage. That is going to be the launching pad for everything that we talk about today. So the first question that I really want to ask you, I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, but what are some initial thoughts when you hear this particular passage about working as working for the Lord? What, how does it strike you just off the bat? Well, I got to say, the first thing that strikes me is like right where it starts with whatever. And this idea that, I hate to say it, but so long we've put working for the Lord in one box or either an eight to five job or Sunday morning, or that it's a particular type of work or a work for particular people, that this is whatever we're doing, work at it as if it's for the Lord. So that's right out of the gate. I have to admit, that's what catches my attention. And if I'm honest, what what catches me personally as an area of growth in the scripture, like whatever is a little terrifying to me, if I'm honest, on the scope of this command, that whatever I'm doing, work at it like it's work for the Lord. And then the other part, I guess that, and I Shane, I think what really gets me too is sometimes the scripture, you can read a scripture again and again, and then it hits you different on a certain day. Today, when you read that, which has really hit me is because we're going to get this inheritance from the Lord. And 
how that has not always been where I am. Like that, that the idea of I'm going to do this work and it's for God, but I'm expecting some kind of payout now. And I don't mean necessarily financial, but I'm going to I'm going to do this and this is going to happen. And that's not what's guaranteed here. It's guaranteed here is an inheritance from the Lord, which isn't isn't necessarily any of the the markers that we regularly use individually or collectively as a lot of my work's been in either nonprofits or in the church. Often the markers we're looking for aren't really about inheritance from the Lord and so those are my first impressions on this scripture are maybe if I boil it down, my first impression of this scripture is this is this is a scripture that I personally continued to try and grow into. Yeah. Talking about not waiting on the inheritance. We all want that instant gratification, right? We want we want what we want it now. And that when it comes to working, I think when if you can compare and contrast the uh, sort of the workplace where we we get our livelihood against the workplace that is the volunteer sphere. We do have a lot of folks who volunteer and they do that because it makes them feel good and they know they're doing good. But there are also a lot of folks out there who won't do that because what's in it for them, right? Mm -hmm. And I, so I think this passage for me personally, it challenges the, especially the American notion of what work is for and what success is and why we do anything good or why we do anything at all. But it's for that payout, right? You, you mentioned the payout. Even here, though, we have a little bit of a talk of a payout, but it's something that's going to happen much later. And we have in the whole of scripture, we have a whole lot of other places that point to this idea that we should be doing it for intrinsic value and for the love of love and for doing good rather than for any reward we might receive because humans are simple creatures and we strive after things. We want stuff, right? And so even here, we have this idea that we're not doing it for nothing. We're doing it for God. And I know for me, like I sometimes get caught up in people pleasing or wanting people wanting, not even necessarily people pleasing, but I get caught up in the idea of, of wanting people to notice me or wanting people to affirm me affirmation seeker to the core and that's a problem for being an online pastor <laughs> but it, it is what it is and so this reminder here this reminder that even in spite of all of that none of that really matters if I'm not doing it for God if I'm not doing it for the good of God's kingdom yeah, um, I think too, it's so easy to slip into to to doing it for some other reason because that's it, like you said, it, at least in America, which is really the only culture I've lived in long term. So it's the only one I can speak to. Every other thing is like either about success or at least not about failure, right? Like you don't want to be the one that something fails under necessarily. You know. And it's so easy to slip back away, even when we've started in the right place about, oh, this is for God. But then we, it's just so hard. For that to be the continual and exclusive focus, which I think that's clear is this can't be about it's about God. And because anytime we're doing that, we're really I, we're already probably in the wrong zone. And this way, I'm a mom and I'm now five and a six year old. And I love the way they're starting to ask questions about their faith and, and pull at some different things. But the other day and, and this is this is really low level work or things, but we were talking about helping those who are hungry and what we should do in that. And my five-year-old was like, why should we do this? And, and the questions of why don't they, why doesn't everybody have their own food? Since we've been 
their whole life, we've been blessed with food stability. This is a foreign concept. And my oldest, my six-year-old just goes, because Jesus loves them. So we have to love them. And I thought, wow, she just took all of this. We have to do it because of this or this and just broke it down to Jesus loves them. So I love them. So they can't be hungry. And I thought, I just think when we think about our work and is even if we just break it down to like our work is to be Jesus's love here. And that does take work. Like love takes so much work. And I just, for her, like all the other whys that I was coming up with to give our five-year-old, it was just like, none of those matter because it's about, and Jesus is love. So this is really pretty simple. And I think at his heart, maybe the scripture is simple, but it's not easy. I think there's a lot of that, right? There's a lot of that in the Bible. This is Pretty much all of it. <laughs> pretty much simple statement, but it's really hard to apply and live out. That's, that's why you see the Ten Commandments are fairly simple. And they're also fairly universal outside of religion too. Like they're, aside from the first one, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, like all that stuff. There's no gods above. Aside from that, like most of the Ten Commandments are fairly universal. Like everybody agrees, murder, bad, right? Adultery, bad. Nobody accepts that these are really good human traits. But even our, even our Jewish ancestors, brothers and sisters, they struggled with the simplicity of it and had to come up with permutations of these 10. Just, yeah, but what about, but what if, right? Love is really easy to grasp, but hard to live out. And I love that, that, I love that, that not that it's hard, but I love that it's childlike simplicity of the whole thing. Like we lose that somewhere along the way, right? Kids know this. They know this intrinsically. And we somehow lose this idea of, just doing good and being good, and we need a whole set of rules and list of things to follow in order to figure out whether we're doing it. When in reality, Jesus just laid it down, right? Love love God, love your neighbor, and treat others how you want to be treated, and you'll know whether or not you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And But you segue perfectly in talking about hunger and why don't they have their own food, which my kids have asked very similar questions, like, why don't they have their own food? Because like, the world is not great. And we tend to sometimes veer into the selfish. And let's expand on that a little bit more with how we can understand our work and our service to God in the context of social justice. Like any thoughts on that, how we can view doing like part of our whatever we do, this work towards social justice, which some people think is a bad word uh, or a bad phrase, social justice, ah, whatever. But I truly like if you follow the gospels with any kind of seriousness, it, it should be just an innate part of your understanding of Jesus's existence. So as followers of Jesus, it should be part of ours. What do you think then that looks like in terms of serving God while at the same time seeking out serving others? And so I do honor, yeah, that social justice is now one of those words that people, probably whoever's listening to this, everybody has their own definition of what that means. But I, I would agree. I think it's really hard to divorce uh, Christianity as a whole, but certainly United Methodist expression of Christianity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from um, social justice, um, which just uh, to me just breaks down really pretty simply. I, justice is one of the core things I see throughout our scriptures and the idea that it's for all, like it's not just my justice, it's not this selfishness. So yeah, I know the words are off-putting to some, and that's fine if you need to claim different language, but the heart of it, to walk away from the concept behind it is, I think, very dangerous as we look at when we talk about working for God, what is our main work for God is, in my opinion, 
breaks down to some of the prayer we see within the Lord's prayer, within those scriptures about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's some of the best work we can get into is trying to bring God's kingdom here, both through our professional life, which is maybe somewhat sometimes as easy as how are we as people in our professional spaces, but also if we're expecting justice and that we would receive in the next and whatever comes after this, then we also need to be spreading that justice now. And for me, when I think of this, it really goes back to Jesus as we talk about work as if you're working at it for the Lord, for God, for Jesus. And I think of how Jesus did it. And for me, it always comes back to relationship. We see Jesus have very close relationships with a lot of people who he is offering justice to. These people have been pushed to the margins, sometimes even by the established church or the established religion. And he's in some way seeing them, not seeing them as a statistic to be claimed or someone to raise their own platform on, but seeing them as the person they are who is, as everyone is, in my opinion, somebody who is a beautiful, created, beloved child of God. And, and so I think that for me is, as we look into social justice and move into that, it really, if we start building relationships through beyond just those who are in our most intimate circle, then social justice starts to be almost unavoidable because you anymore you want justice for those who you love. And as we make our circles of love and relationship as large as Jesus wants us to be, then the work of it just comes, I don't want to say automatically, because it again, it is work and we have a whole bunch of culture and a whole bunch of noise telling us to do it a different way. Um, but I think that path really aligns a lot differently. So you actually just said something. We seek justice. We want justice for those that we love. And what a simple and obviously true statement that I never thought of in those terms before. Just it, we want justice for those that we love. And I just you, as soon as you said, I started thinking about all of the all of the noise that you're talking about in our culture, on the news, in our churches, <laughs> everywhere that is divisive and talking about really from a self-motivated point of view when the reality is we wouldn't be having any of these conversations or any of these disagreements or fights with each other if we truly grabbed onto that idea if we would want justice for people that we love so that then led me to believe like then we don't love these folks these other folks uh, if I'll put it that way whoever your other is those people we don't love them. We can say love the sin or hate the sin or, oh, I'm not whatever. Take your polarized label. But the reality is if you truly loved, if we truly loved, if I truly loved those people like we as Christians love to say we do, but then we would want justice for them, right? Because mm -hmm. Jesus loved us and Jesus wanted justice for he even wanted justice for his opponents. That's why he was hard on his opponents, but he always left room for them to change. Right? He never cast anyone aside and never limited their ability to respond positively to him. And so I think a part of our work, not a part of our work, all of our work, whether it's secular work, business work, volunteer work, justice work, personally, I think if we are really working for the glory of God, then truly, too, we should always leave room for 
any person we come up against that feels like they're in our way or a stepping stone or somebody who is just outwardly against us or our uh, uh, ability to function in society, we really ought to leave room for them to respond positively to a change rather than setting up barriers and systems meant to keep them down or out of our space, mm-hmm. right? Which leads me to the next question, which wasn't on my list, but definitely it's something I think we, we should talk about. And that is in, in our workspaces specifically, whether we work for churches or we work in the secular world, we, most of us have a desire to elevate, to move up, to climb the ladder as it were in our culture. And in doing so, we often do it at the expense. How do we reconcile, especially as Christians, if we are Christians in this? If you're not a Christian and you're listening to this and you're like, this doesn't uh, apply to me, it really still does because you probably still hold to the value of you want to be treated how you want to treat others how you're treated or you want people to treat you how you want to be treated, that, however you want to put it. You hold on to do good, receive good. Right? So how do we reconcile that idea? climbing the ladder, with improving in our workspace, in elevating, in moving onward and upward. Because I know for me personally, I have always wanted more. I've always wanted more responsibility, more position, more authority, all of that. Then sometimes I got it. I'm like, what was I thinking? (laughs) Like, I'm in that position right now. Like, I got, I I have everything that I've been working for. And now I'm just like, why did I do this to myself? But I've always tried to do it without exploiting others or without using others as a resource. And I think that's where I want to get to. How do we reconcile our desire to improve and grow without using other people as a resource or a stepping stone? How do we view them like Jesus viewed them in our quest to quote unquote succeed? Can we even have both of those intention or are they non-starters for each other? I think I guess to the last question there, I think they can exist together, though I I think it's one of those things that you have to stay focused on. But I would say one of the core things we need to to really accept deeply within ourselves is that some expressions that we have grown up with are not true almost ever. And that I'm thinking of like the ends justifies the means. And so even if your end is to move up the ladder, so that you can improve things within whatever your system is. I'm going to move up so that this will be better. But to move up, then it does not justify, you have this good end, but it doesn't justify anything at pushing anybody else down. And so I think that's one thing is that we need to actually realize that the means matter and how we go about ourselves. And that's this scripture that is whatever you're doing work as if it's for the Lord. And so it's this idea that everything, even if what I want has good intention at the end of it, that I shouldn't be pushing others down or even to the sides in order to get that. And so I think that's one thing we really need to hold that deeply true. And to me, that goes back to integrity. That's you can't be trying to pursue one thing at the cost of another and You also need to be honest with yourself. And I think that's part of integrity too. And ask some hard questions on why. Like, why is it you want to climb this ladder? And then keeping that why there should help monitor your behavior and and how you live that out as you're moving up 
But I really wonder, we have what, in my opinion, I believe every person is called to something by God. God is wanting all of us to grow in certain areas, to move forward, to to use the word, to succeed in certain ways. But I don't actually know that we often really identify our life's calling all that well, because then we get in this idea of moving up that's So I think some of this too is redefining what is success and what are we willing, what are we willing to give to get that success? And also within that recognizing if there is a cost to others and that, that we can't negate that. I think often we think about what's the cost to myself. I'll move up the ladder and and maybe it changes my family time or it changes my economic situation. And we think about our costs really limited to, to ourselves or to our immediate families. And so I think some of that is spreading this out and acknowledging. And if I'm honest, let's just get honest. Let's, if what I want to do is get ahead so that I'm the top or I can make the most money, we need to name that for ourselves. But there's more than enough money. And it doesn't feel like that to everybody because we hold it so closely because we have such a mindset of scarcity. We live in a country where there's ridiculous abundance and there's a possibility for that to be shared. But we get this idea that it's scarce and so that we need to cluster it closer, whatever it is, whether that's money or this idea of success. The best workplaces I know of are workplaces that care about um, each other and who really are focused on, yeah, I'm, I want to move ahead, but I'm not willing to move you down for me to move ahead. And actually, for me to move ahead, I believe the best way to get there is for you also to move ahead in some way or another. And I think that's really how we can transform. But this really goes back to me, to how Jesus did it. Jesus did not, he didn't put down the other rabbis just to get ahead of them. And in fact, as you said, it, even when he was hard, there was an encouraging element of it. It wasn't, you're just done. I'm, I'm going to encourage you to grow and to understand God better and deeper. But we see that as Jesus succeeded, he brought others with him. And often the people who others would have looked past because he saw within their gifts and graces. And so I think Absolutely, we can in our workplaces get ahead, move up, however you want to put that. And we can also be for others, but it is a balance and you have to stay focused on it because otherwise it's really easy to just think, I'll make that right when I'm ahead and when I'm up. And, and we rarely do, if we're honest. Like we humans have really short time, like histories. And so I think often, yeah, I think I'm going to write that wrong later, but then I just forget it. Or I justify the lack of justice, which is is very easy to do. Right. It's well, because we move the goalpost, right? We hit our goalpost and we're already on to the next thing. And so we never get to there. We never mm-hmm. get to wherever there is because we're always moving the goalpost. One of the things that you're talking about, and we're actually the next question is going to delve deeper into it still, but So much of that last part of that conversation dealt with the self, right? What I want, the cost to me, all of it was very self-focused. The very beginning of this passage really tries to take the reader outside of their own self-interest, their own own focus on them. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, right? It's all, you're not doing this for you. You're not even necessarily doing it for others, but you're doing it not you're doing it away from yourself, so to speak, right? 
it takes us the why do we do this or why do we want this? You ask that question, like, why do I want to climb up the ladder? And if I'm being honest, so many, so much of the time, that answer for me is because if I'm higher on the ladder, people will care about me more or mm-hmm. people will love me more or they will value me more, which isn't true. They may, and I put this in very large air quotations, they may think more of me, but usually all that does is make it a much longer fall when inevitably I realize that it's never about that, right? It's never enough. I could be the bishop and I would still want more. I'd want to be the president of the council of bishops. And then I'd like for me. So the question always, again, as you said, why? Let's be honest. Why are we doing these things? And this scripture here tells us why we should be doing them. And so if we take scripture at all seriously, we have to ask that question. Is our, is our why the why that we've been given as to why we should do it? And that answer can be yes or no, but if it is no, we need to be honest about that and say that's work we need to do. That is work we need to do. And I think that is everybody. I think that is one of those universals. There are very few people historically that have just been like, I'm just going to do everything for the good of others and for the good of God. Right? We all have that. And even this passage points to that. Because then it talks about the inheritance, right? It says, yes, this is what you should be doing. But also, because I know you're human, there's also the carrot. There's the carrot. In case you needed more, if you needed more reason to do it, other than the fact that you should just want to do it for God, right? Mm -hmm. God understands that we are motivated by external stimuli. And so we get this. And there's an inheritance too thing. Uh, But speaking of inheritance and money or accumulating whatever. Next question is, how can we balance the pressure for profit and performance with our calling to serve God in our workspaces? Because especially in our culture, we are very uh, product-driven. We are driven by getting something done, by achievement, by accumulating whatever, however, the word will come to me later. How do we balance whether internal or external pressure to produce and to profit and to gain over our, with our call to work for God and honor God in our workspaces. And I want to honor, again, I think this is really hard. And this is, as we talk about work, I think this is the work of a lifetime for all of us, because there's never a point where you're just like, oh, yeah, I nailed this. I've got all this down and I can relax because uh, that's never going to work. Because I do think that there is a lot within within our workplace and within our personal kind of drives this idea of I'm going to produce the most, I'm going to be the most efficient, I'm going to, I'm going to succeed. And it's, if we're honest, God's not always very efficient in how God gets God's work done. As far as in our, we'll just solve hunger, God, you can do that. But that's not where, that's not how God works, how, how God has unfolded and manifested within our lives and our communities. And I think some of this really comes down to we've got to change what game we're playing. We are, we're playing this game of life. And it's this idea of what life means is that you fit into a job that you like enough and then you just blow out of the water. You're just on the top of whatever and that you, you find someone that 
you love and then you achieve family like this is some kind of marker right and then you achieve this and that and i think there are so many pressures even i mean i mentioned marriage but there's like this idea i have some friends who choose to be single uh, and they get so much pressure about basically they're failing at marriage as if that's the only way to live but really they redefined what healthy relationships are for them and i think that's part of what we need to do to be comfortable in the space where we're more focused on doing God's work for God's glory versus our work for our glory is we've just got to change the rules by which we're playing with and recognize as we talk about living out faith that this is countercultural. This will be different than almost everybody around you. But to say what it, the at the end of the day, the thing I want to succeed the most at is that I brought God joy. That's an amazing job. And certainly one that if you succeeded at it would be amazing. If you just, I just brought God joy today. I can't think of much better use of a day to be successful. But I think that's, we've got to do our own work. And then also out of that, then society needs to start working too. And I think sometimes people who don't work in the church think that we have this all right or think, they th oh, let's be clear. They think we, we have this all right. Yeah. Uh, we know we don't. We, I, we get knocked a lot about being hypocrites. Hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly we are because everybody is everybody to a certain is, extent. Yeah. But we know that we're not getting this. And the idea that, you know, that where I'm called in life, that is that is the version of success I need versus having the most of whatever or having the most impressive paperwork turned in or moving up to a bigger church. Historically, in the United Methodist Church, we had this idea that you started small and you ended your career in, in some large one, one church and hundreds of people every Sunday, or maybe you ended as a DS, or maybe if it was your or district superintendent, I'm sorry for anybody that doesn't know, somebody who's over our clergy and our churches and our different regions. Or, or maybe you wrote a book, right? Or whatever your success was. But what if we just redefine that and our success was what? I'm planted at a three-point small rural parish. And at the end of each day, I hope that whatever we do here gives God joy. Because that gives you something to work for. That gives you a marker of success. Uh, but it takes away this idea that my success is over somewhere else. It's right here. I have been planted here. I've been planted here. We're going to assume God's hand was somehow in that. And that can be church is where I just focus at, but that can be your workplace too. I think of teachers. Oh my goodness. If there's ever a calling in the life, like just wherever you're teaching, this is where I'm planted. And this is going to be the best experience I can give these kids. This is going to be at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to say how we interacted together. I gave those kids joy or I gave God joy. I'm sorry, not the kid's joy. That is not a teacher's calling is to give kids joy. No. Can, bringing God's joy can often feel like you're not bringing kids joy. But I, when I think too of my dad was a diesel mechanic and there is, there that's God's work too. There all these places we are, we're planted and we need to be focused on how we are in those spaces and not think just about efficiency certain and productivity. And certainly in some cases, if we want to keep our jobs, there's a certain element of that, but it really, what it drives me is what drives me the success and the productivity and the efficiency, or is what drives me bringing glory to God in all my work. And out of that, there will be, there will be some product that I can point to and say, this is what I did. And 
if I'm honest, maybe that's not always what we thought we were moving towards at the beginning, but it's almost always better than we thought we were heading towards. Absolutely. I just love the idea of success being measured on the one factor of, did I bring God joy today? And if the answer to that is yes, then you inevitably have brought joy somewhere outside of yourself as well. Because uh, yes, we can, you can make the argument that God wants great things for us or wants good things for us, but God doesn't want good things only for us. And it is not, that is not even necessarily our primary responsibility, right? The intrinsic value of doing good and bringing joy to others brings us joy. It's psychologists have done this work where they have explained to us that when we do good things, the good comes back to us in our own emotions, right? We feel it. And so, yeah, just did I bring God joy today? That's it, right? That I think that is a great way to balance all of these other external forces or things that we're grabbing for when it comes to measuring success or figuring out if we've achieved or arrived or moved up or down or whatever, because we can all do that everywhere we are, no matter where we are in life, in society, our status, whatever. If we're seeking that out, we're going to bring good into the world. We're going to be working toward that end goal as Christians have. We believe in the culminating reign of God. We mm -hmm. believe that we're working toward that. If we're working to bring God joy every day, then we are actively participating in that work of bringing God's reign into fullness. God's going to do what God's going to do, right? But we have that role to play, and that ought to be our primary guiding question. Did I bring God joy? Because the answer to that is never self-serving. The answer to that is never self-serving. A yes to bringing God joy will never be, and I was selfish about it. No, mm -hmm. <laughs> you cannot. That is not how that works. Yeah. And, and Jesus showed us all of that all the way to the cross. And I think, too, is we, we focus on this bringing God joy and that it makes it really hard then not to look at other aspects of our lives. And we've already talked some about social justice, right? But like at the end of the day, if I was ex productive at work, I completely ignored elements of injustice around me. I probably didn't bring God the joy I, I could have that day. Yeah. Also, I think God gets joy in being in conversation with us. And so that's connecting with God through prayer or however you do that, whether you're in nature and connecting with God or in certainly in community of others who are also seeking to bring God joy. And so I think seek, desiring to bring God joy and, and to see that is work, that you have to be diligent in it, that you have to continue to strive for it. I think it actually helps you move closer to God as well. Because then it, it becomes harder to ignore these things that no, without meaning to, we ignore when we're so focused on succeeding in the human ways, when we're focused on our work as that's what we mean. And I, so I really think as you focus on that and accept, again, joy is not just an emotion, right? It's not, oh, I made God laugh today because I'm hilarious. It would be bringing God's how God wants the world to be a little bit closer through however we are called to be a small piece of that. And so I really think focusing on this as our work transforms so much of our lives and really brings about all these other elements that when we're focused on our own success, even as people who are seeking to be religious or spiritual, we disconnect with those because we're so focused on being the most successful or moving ahead 
that we actually don't focus on bringing God joy and connecting with God and connecting with others and following the basic commandments of loving God and loving others and loving ourselves. This is good stuff. I always forget how much I need to hear some of this stuff when we're when I'm writing my own sermons or just thinking about these things. That is why doing it in community, in conversation with other people is so important because we are mm-hmm. so limited in our own self-focused view on what we can possibly come up with that this stuff is so important. So with that, as we wrap up this sermon-ish section of this conversation, do you have one practical sort of daily practice that you do or love that would help us to become to become more focused on bringing God joy? Interesting. So I'll admit I don't personally have a daily practice, but one thing I one practical step I would say is and and I think maybe this is going to sound a little weird at first is sometimes we need to check our emotions and make sure we're not a projecting but also be thinking our emotions are fact. So mm-hmm. sometimes we get someone says something to us at at work and I perceive it as a slight or that you've talked down to me. I am a female in in a space where a lot of people that I interact with might be more used to seeing a male and there can be things that feel like mansplaining and I can feel certain ways about that. The whole half of my part of this podcast right there. Not yet, I would tell you. But I think that's we have to check ourselves because when and what I mean is so maybe that's not maybe it is. And sometimes the answer is it is. And that's we need to deal with things, too. But sometimes we we think our feelings, how I feel about that is fact, because I feel like Shane mansplained to me. That's a fact that Shane mansplained to me. It's a fact I felt like it was. And that certainly needs to be dealt with. But where I bring this up here is because Sometimes if I feel slighted at work, right, like I feel, oh, if I had been a man, you would have done this. Or just, who do you think you are talking to me like that? You what, you think you can talk to me? And then what we do is we justify our not good actions in response, in how we respond. And so when we start doing that, we stop bringing God joy. Because typically when we're justifying our behaviors or our attitudes or our thoughts, because those matter too, we're not typically bringing God a lot of joy. And we kind of circle down into this. I think you see this lived out really loudly in in some like social media places, Twitter or or whatever it's called now. It's known for this, right? Is to be this like feeding frenzy of negativity. But I think we actually do some of that within ourselves, within the workplace. And in our so we think that you're trying to to get ahead. And maybe they are. The facts are we need to not accept that our feelings are facts. And that those then, those feeling facts permit us to act different ways. Because the thing about scripture is there's no nuance of it. This doesn't say do whatever you can for the glory of God, except for where people were first rude to you. Or do all the work you can other than for your other. As you said earlier, Shane, about that we all have others, right? And some of us work with others. We make the workplace nemesis or whoever. And that is the person we justify certain behaviors towards or attitudes. And I don't think that brings God joy. And so I think some of that is is checking ourselves. When am I allowing these emotions to color my whole world in a way that then I'm using them as justification about how I'm acting? So that, yeah. But I also think that goes back to another thing is if you're having to justify why your behavior is acceptable within the workplace, 
you probably need to lean in closer to God and to hear more from God about what would bring God joy. Because typically doing God's work doesn't need a lot of justification within our soul. So I have a couple of questions I wanted to ask you, Beth. Some of them are fun. Some of them are serious. But I want you to just be give us the dirt. First of all, who is your office nemesis? You mentioned it. And who is what? your office other? Who is my office it's nemesis? Will, isn't I can't, what will. if they watch this? Like, and I can't, then, look, I can't get know. that right up on me. It is absolutely uh, Will Jones. I'm going to say I know it's Will <laughs> what I'm, I'm sad it's not Will Jones because he would prove to be a worthy nemesis, right? Because that's yes. the thing is you don't want to you don't want a slacker of a nemesis. And so I'll admit I do a really bad job of having a workplace nemesis. My dad, he always had, which was typically his boss. And unfortunately, my boss right now is a really good guy trying best too. So it's just, it's a failure. How much, but, is it how much of a raise are you seeking? That's, yeah, that's not happy. I'm just happy to still be employed. But I, I'm going to give what might seem like a, a pat answer, but I'm going to define it as real. I actually think that often I am my workplace nemesis. That I really, I have a tendency to get in my own head and to undermine what I'm doing and to focus on wrong things. And I don't know that there's anybody in this building who ticks me off more than myself because I see that and then I call myself on it. And if I'm really honest, I'm not very gracious to myself. And so I'm sure at some point somebody will move into this building and be a good nemesis and I can come back and retake this. But yeah, I have to be honest. I am my own person who most irritates me at work and who also often most gets in my own way of doing God's work. Awesome. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do, but not just here's what I do. What are some of the challenges you face as the director of strategic ministries and how does seeking to bring God joy influence how you respond to those challenges? So, yeah. So my office, strategic ministries, right? What does that mean? And there's a certain amount of niceness in having a broad job title like that and that a lot falls under it which is also in its part one of the challenges is my general position is congregational development or revitalization. And there's always so many different ways that can unfold. There's always so many different pieces that you can move. And I think one of the greatest challenges is, is figuring out what is the next step, who to walk closer alongside, who needs help, who needs to be reached out to, who doesn't need that, who doesn't want that. And I, so I think that's both like the blessing of it is there's a lot of flexibility in my job as as long as I'm focused on helping clergy and congregations taking their next step. But it's also it's really wide and it's hard. But I think there there's a I think a lot of the difficulties within my position are the same that we see at every level of any kind of organized religion. And it's that good intentions doesn't get God's work done. So we all mean, but we don't always get it done. I don't get it done. And I make wrong choices sometimes. And it's really hard to predict all that. And you know, my office calls strategic ministries. So I, I love it when people just randomly work strategic into a, a sentence and then they're like, so this is your work. And it's like, oh, that's not really how this works. Uh, but here's the thing is strategies are great. But in my experience, emotions and people derail strategy all the time. And right now, within our congregations, within our conference, 
within the United States, we have a lot of hurt and we have a lot of people who are in pain, a lot of people who are angry, a lot of people who are sad. And a lot of people who are just overwhelmed by life. We talk about social justice and people are like, How? it's so big. How do I know what to do? And those are all things that, that kind of derail any best strategy we could have. And there's a certain amount of coming to grips with the fact that because of that, there's no magical program that I'm going to be able to bring in and just be like, well, here. And now all of our churches are growing and I've succeeded in some way, but rather to boil down. And this goes back to me for relationships. How do we build relationships between each other in the congregation, outside the congregation? And this work is hard and there's not a one size fit all answer ever. And also, I guess one of the hardships within my work is helping congregations come to that realization too, that there's nothing I can walk in and just say, do X, Y, Z, and it will magically do whatever you want. Because we often have to start with are we sure with whatever we want is what God wants? And so those are all a lot of difficulties within the work. And I want to say, I want to be clear, this is my difficulties too, because I would love to be able to be the one that just brought in some kind of amazing program that basically just brought Jesus, Jesus's message here in, in abundance ways. But it's often slow, quiet work behind the scenes. And so sometimes also it's hard to get people to engage in that and to especially as, again, as I recognize that so many of us are hurting in deep ways. You mentioned that you, you sometimes get it wrong, but I can say that you you coming alongside and really empowering Gobi Church to become a reality was not one of those, was not one of those wrong things. Time will tell, actually. No, time can be quiet. <laughs> no, but truly. So if you're watching this, it, it, now is probably a good time to explain that, that Beth was instrumental in this whole thing without her work, again, behind the scenes and in person with just talking to folks and getting them to understand what was going on. We wouldn't exist. This ministry would not exist. It would still just be an idea on paper. And so I will say thank you so much for buying into this vision and being a part of this and really being one of the reasons why Gobi Church has a chance to do anything. So I just want to throw that out there. I would love to take all the credit for that. But I'll actually point out that's one of the struggles. Really, Shane started this work well before I came into this position. And Kelly Brown, who was in a similar position but different title than mine before, helped point Shane in some different directions and give some suggestions. There was a supervisor, the district superintendent, that really helped move this along. And if our goal had been efficiency, they would have been really frustrated because it didn't just magically happen. And I'm sure there were days probably, especially you, Shane, were frustrated as you wanted this to happen. And I think maybe that's one of the hardest parts about ministry is often we lay seeds that others collect. And I want to harvest my own seeds. I want that. And that's a really hard thing to to remain at peace with. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah, you're right. It's that's, that's probably one of the hardest parts about being, especially being a Methodist pastor, is if you're if we're doing the work right, we're going to lay foundations that we're not going to see come to fruition. <laughs> which can also be frustrating for our churches if the next pastor then comes in and tries to lay more seeds rather than cultivate what is. So maybe there's a room for a conversation on how do we in the connection work with each other more collectively over time rather than say, hey, this is my great new thing I want to do because we all want to do our great thing. But there's room, I think, is in just what you just said, there's room for us all to work on and build upon the things that 
are good that have come before us and still be able to take some amount of credit for having been a part of that thing. So yeah, while Abby and Kelly were were there before you doing some things and, and encouraging me to do some stuff, you're the one that ultimately pulled the trigger on funding and on so many other aspects of this that without your without you, Beth Ortiz, being there, doing that, this still could just have been seeds, but now it's a flowering plant. And I, I understand your, what you're saying, but don't sell yourself short because, yeah, yes, you were very important in this. So I'm going to, you can feel however you want to feel about it, but I'm going to tell the people what's what. I'm going to tell them the <laughs> truth. So with that, all right, so we're going we're gonna to wrap this up with a few minutes of, I'm just going to give you like quick questions. Imagine for a moment that you've switched to a completely different profession. What profession would that be and why? So my first thought is an American Red Cross instructor because I was one previously and I really enjoyed teaching CPR. We're in the profession we hope of helping save lives, but it's very, it's really about saving this life. So that's my first thought is American Red Cross instructor. But I also would just really like to work at Target because you get a 10% discount and at the end of the day, I can go home. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in management, to be clear. This is not about succeeding. I want to be like, I, I want to be the person who works in fulfillment, which is they fulfill your online orders, but without any of the pressures, because they do have a lot of pressures on them. But for me, it just wants to be like a supermarket sweep situation. So I'm very specifically detailing how this job would, would pull out. Wow. Best with the timely references. Supermarket sweep. My goodness. Timely references? It's like a... That's not timely. No, I you missed the sarcasm in my voice. Uh, there, there is a new one. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that. joke's on you. It is time. Oh, yeah, because we can't have anything new. We have to rehash all old things. Okay, so then what was the biggest light bulb moment in terms of your current job? What is one thing that just you encountered it and it made everything else seem much more clear in your position? It's a sermon, and it's a sermon I heard a couple months ago, and the gist of the sermon was to be still and to listen to God. And that has really, I'm still living into what that means. But as we, we talk about productivity and efficiency being something that, that personally drives me, that was a light bulb moment that God isn't calling me to that, but rather, first and foremost, I am to be still and listen and to know, to know God. If your work day was a Bible story, which one would it be and why? My, sometimes I feel like I'm in Noah's flood. Probably the wrong time to I'm reference wrong. like the woman like driving a peg through space temple. That's probably not the one you're going for. Here. You know what? I, I think I and I'm not going to nail it down exactly. So I'm going to apologize oh, for, for not answering the question. But I feel if it was I maybe I'd be like a recipient of one of Paul's or whoever wrote some of those letters of of the epistles of this idea. Hey, I know you're trying really hard and overall I give thanks to God for you, but here's this list of things you're missing the mark on. That's what I feel like it would be. And then it would end again with, I'm praying for you and you're still awesome. So, you know, kisses Paul, which is not how he signed off on them. But actually, I think he did. I think it's in one of the original manuscripts. We just can't <laughs> prove it. Wait, it's one of those similar, we we're like, we don't know what this translates as. How amazing. Like, honestly, think about that though for a second. If how many of our churches would react if they got a letter from Paul today, like a true letter of Paul, like they got that. And that was read publicly 
on Sunday morning. How that, oh my goodness, my goodness. I think even what if our congregations or any collection of people of faith, or even individually, but I think it'd be more, more powerful through collection, even just took the time to process, if Paul wrote us, what would he put in this? Because I think that helps us see Paul's providing that outside eyes, which we all need sometimes. And in that same vein, not a story, but which biblical character inspires your work ethic the most and why? Oh, man. You're like, these are supposed to be fast, but I'm like, biblical character. I know. You know? I, don't worry. It'll look faster when I edit it. So can you give it, can you give me the question again? Then? Yeah, yeah. Which, and if that one's too, if that's too much, just which biblical character inspires you the most that's not Jesus? I was going to say, the answer is always Jesus, right? So this is actually, I'm going to say Eve from Genesis. And in particular, so Eve, well, and Eve gets a bad rap, so we're not going to get into all, all how you should unpack that scripture. But really, Eve does make some decisions because she's listening to the wrong person. And then she, though, again, I'm not taking any accountability off of Adam here, but this idea that then she actually spreads that. And so that really focuses, because I want to make sure I'm listening to the right person. because. There are consequences when we listen to others other than God. And so really this tale of how can this be? But even within that, then I love. So originally in that scripture, God says, if you eat of this tree, you'll die, which isn't what we see happen. They are removed from the Garden of Eden, but they continue. And there's consequences, uh, but there's still grace. There's still love and forgiveness within that. Eve, both in that being aware of listening to God exclusively, not first and foremost, exclusively in how I want to be at work. Again, this is the ideal. This isn't what I make it to. This is what I'm striving for. But the knowledge also that when I fail at doing that, what I will receive from God is certainly not the removal of consequences, but I will continue to receive grace. So what is one habit that you have that other people might find weird or unconventional? I will say most, I have a walking desk within my office, a treadmill with a standing desk over it. And a lot of people find this very odd and have questions, honestly, on how I work. But that's so that, and I, when I, I do a lot of good thinking when my body is in movement. So that is, that's one thing. I also, I will, and this sounds this sounds bad, but I consume a lot of beverage. But what I mean is I just drink a lot. But I'm going to cut that line right out. I'm just going to cut gonna, that line out. That's going to be a TikTok short right there. I drink a lot in the office, but it's actually drinking a lot. It pauses my day and just makes me stop because otherwise I just trudge on through. And when I work with outbreaks or when I work still, I start making a lot of really bad decisions. Can you share an instance when you had to stand up for your faith or your values at work, possibly against popular opinion? So I I think back to uh, a while ago, and uh, I was working at uh, the Bethlehem Center, which is a United Methodist facility, National Mission Institute, actually, in Jackson, Mississippi, serving uh, families of lower income who who have who who need affordable child affordable and quality childcare so that they can work because. If you don't know, childcare costs are insane and it makes it really hard to work and if you're not making a lot of money. And that's what we offered. And we we had a lot of groups that wanted to come in and do nice things, typically give away things at Christmas or Easter. 
for our kids and take pictures of it and mm. and publicize it. And I have a really hard time anytime that we are using children for our own publicity. And my stance was is that they weren't allowed to take pictures. I didn't go so far as to say they couldn't do it. And so that was something we really and I was not the director and ultimately we came down on some middle ground. So I can't actually say I was successful, but that was something I have a really I really struggle and I really think we all need to struggle. Anytime that we're using vulnerable people to for our own PR, we we need to highly question on if that gave God joy. So that's one time and I that was really scary to me because I was two, twenty-three, and was working with all people older than me. And but yeah, that that's what comes to mind. Yeah, I just saw a TikToker yesterday say the line, children are not content. Hmm? And that is yeah. <laughs> I'd say we could expand that out. You did. Uh, vulnerable people are not content. And I personally, too, have seen, I really take issue with those social experiment videos out there that people put where they'll like, go give a homeless person $200 and see what they do with it. And then they get millions of views and they're making money off of that. And I, that always feels disgusting and gross to me. And, and I think, yeah, again, using vulnerable people, whether they be children or any other vulnerable group, for the purpose of saying, hey, look at all this amazing that's going on, that we're doing. We're so awesome. There's a balancing act as a pastor and in a church where we want good PR for our churches and to know that for the community to know that we're not just a building sitting here idle, right, that we are doing things, but there's a balancing act you do between being exploitative of, like, we did this so we get the good PR, or to say, uh, this happened and, like, people need to know about it. So that conversation is one that definitely needs to be had. But children are not content. Yeah, we don't even in our live stream and our physical location at Niles First UMC, we have our live stream, but I do my children's sermon with the children facing me with their backs to the camera, right? Because it's about the best I can do in that setting at meeting our safe sanctuary policy of not putting kids on on the internet. Yeah, I think it goes too. like, you're absolutely right, like churches or nonprofits, people doing good work, like, sometimes you need some publicity to share out. But it really like, why? I, th I think we come back to this question of like, why? Who and who is who's receiving the benefit of this? In the, the situation I lifted up, if they'd been wanting to share pictures of these children to talk about, A, how amazing the children were, but also maybe like how underfunded we were and how much we needed like ongoing support, that would have been maybe a little different. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to share out the pictures so they could feel good about what they did. Yep. And I think that becomes who who is going to benefit from sharing this, I think becomes a really crucial question. And for me, one that if the answer is I benefit most, we need to greatly think about this. And Shane, I think you're right. We knock a lot of influencers around this, like people on TikTok and things. But a lot of us more older folks, I count myself, not Shane, as an older folk, we had to remember we can do this through newsletters. We can do mm -hmm. like print pictures. There are plenty of ways where what we're doing is we want this picture so we feel better about what we did. And right there, I think we all need to stand up for that because often those people are not whoever that is, because it could be children or other vulnerable people. They're not the ones who are able to speak into that space and say, we really shouldn't be doing this because this isn't why we should be doing it. Exactly.
One one more question, and then we're going to wrap up, and that is, do you have any resources or you can tell us any about any resources or initiatives from the East Ohio Conference um, that can assist people in their journeys? I know uh, we have a lot, but are, are there any out of your office or anything out of the Connectional Ministries office that you can think of just off the top of the head that I could link to or we could talk about and point people toward? So I'll say Kathy DeCready, who is works in our Connectional Ministries office, she is an amazing resource that works with churches to help them understand how to connect with their community. Because sometimes we have the heart, but we don't have the knowledge or the abilities. She can help churches walk through that. Will Jones is another one. He offers some tools for us to help. As we talked in our longer conversation earlier about the creation of others, he has some ways he can help walk with people, see where they're how, if they're making others or y'all are, how are we adapting with that? And I think those are great resources, especially as we desire to reach those who aren't already with us, which should be the main goal of any church or organization around following Jesus is how to continue to spread this good news. So those are two that come to my mind. But I think for me, too, one of the most important things to say is what I can say is in Connectional Ministries. We do have, we have programs, we have resources, we have people, and those are all what's. But I'd say one thing, we are focusing on the why. And so that it's not as pretty on a website, but I know my why for my work, at least most days, don't always get it right. But we know our why in Connectional Ministries, or we're trying to uncover it very clearly. And our why is to be Connectional Ministries, to steward the vision of the conference and to move that forward. And in that, so I would say too, if there's not a defined list of resources, because we're not saying we have the answers. We have people out there in these communities living as Jesus's agent, as Jesus's light in the world, however you want to put it. And part of what we're to do is walk alongside. And because you're the who, we know our why, the how and the what, we'll figure it out together. So if you've stuck around with us this far, awesome. You made it through the first podcast sermon for Gobi Church. They will hopefully get more streamlined and I'll get better at this as I, because I've really never done this before. This is the very first time for me. So hopefully they'll get better. But if you've stuck around this far, you're amazing. Thank you. Share it, like it, leave a comment below. That would be awesome. But those are the ways that you can help us the most. Looking forward, we're going to do one of these every month. And I have a bunch of them already scheduled to record over the next few weeks. We have Ryan Dunn coming up, who is out of the United Methodist Communications Office, and he's also the host of Pastoring in the Digital Parish. We have uh, Pastor Nathan Webb, who is the pastor and founder of Checkpoint Church, which is a church, a digital church for nerds, geeks, and gamers. We have Reverend Ed Fashbaugh, who is the director of Connectional Ministries in the East Ohio Conference. We've got Reverend Shannon Trenton, who is the leader of the Youngstown Cooperative Ministry here in my little slice of Ohio. We've got Thomas J. Ord. Now, if you don't know Thomas J. Ord, you should. He's a Nazarene scholar and author, and he's written such books as God Can't, which has had a profound impact on my theology, and his latest one, The Death of Omnipotence and the Birth of Amipotence, is a mouthful, but it's awesome. It's a great book. We got him. We've got Bishop Malone. Bishop Tracy S. Malone is going to be on here, and hers is probably going to air probably sometime around Easter. So that's going to be a really fun conversation to have for her or with her, not for her. It's going to be a really fun conversation to have with her. But so those are just some and there are others. I already have others planned as well and they're in their schedule. So 
We've got a lot of really cool conversations coming up over the next year. So again, if you made it with us this far, thank you. Share, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And ultimately, what we want for you here is to know that you're loved. Go be Jesus, go be church, and have a great day.